Welcome to Chapter 2 of HealthSystemCIO.com's interview with John Showalter, CHIO at University of Mississippi Medical Center. In this segment, Dr. Showalter talks about the challenge in selling predictive analytics when clinical pathways haven't been established, how his team was able to hit the ground sprinting with data visualization and reporting, and his advice on how to communicate and collaborate more effectively with, with physician leaders. HealthSystemCIO.com podcasts are sponsored by Improvada, the healthcare IT security company ranked number one by class for secure messaging and single sign-on. For more information, visit their website at Improvada.com. As far as predictive analytics and, and what do you think kind of the, the next wave is going to be, I know it's hard to say, but what do you think will be the next aspect of that that your organization wants to look at? Uh, there, there's definitely a wave of predictive analytics around hospital-acquired conditions, mm -hmm. things that are part of value-based purchasing, uh, things that are going to be tracked in macro. Uh, but I think the next wave is going to be at a population level. It's going to be looking at the ambulatory population and predicting who's likely to get sick in the next you know, 12 to 24 months, who's likely to become a very expensive patient in an ACO, uh, and then trying to intervene before they become expensive. Right. Uh, so I, I think we're going to shift from this inpatient acute mentality to more of a preventive mentality around predictive analytics. And when that wave comes, do you think it is going to be a matter of kind of selling some people on, on the technology as, as you've had to do before on things like you know, analytics? Yes, I, I think there's going to be a big challenge to sell people on the technology. I think it's going to seem a little bit magic that you could put 200,000 people through an algorithm and come up with 100 people that need your attention the most. Yeah. Uh, I think it's also going to be very challenging to decide what to do for those patients. Right. We're not going to have clinical pathways for what to do if you're predicted to be in the 100 people at highest risk for having a costly year due to poor health. I don't, mm. I don't know that we know what to do for those patients. Right. Uh, so there's definitely going to be some cultural resistance to acting on a prediction because there's not a clear path of what to do. Right. And is that something where it hopefully will, will help, at least on some level, having had some tangible results uh, you know, on the inpatient side? I think so. I mean, in, in order for us, for that next wave to, to happen and be adopted, um, people are going to have to see the success demonstrated on the inpatient side mm -hmm. when the turnarounds are much shorter, you know. So pressure ulcers are occurring two to three weeks, you know, after admission, and you can, in a two or three months, get a really nice validation of that data. 30-day uh, readmissions are, you know, clearly within two months, you can have some pretty decent data around that validation. Who's going to get sick in the next year is going to take you a year to validate, but you're not going to want to take a year to act. So it's going to be this balance of trusting in the technology because it's been successful in a different setting. Right. Okay. Now, you talked about when you made the, the transition from CMIO to CHIO and that it, it made sense, you know, at that juncture to do that. But can you talk about what that adjustment has been like and, you know, how this role has, uh, has been different? Sure. So, you know, it was a transition from a very well-defined role, a role uh, of somebody that was helping clinicians interact with the electronic health record better, you know, mm -hmm. changing it so that they could be faster, changing it so it was clearer, working with them to change their workflows to get it to work better for them. Um, and it was a very defined role 
to a very open and ill-defined opportunity uh, to say, we know we should get benefit by doing analytics on the data we're producing, but we don't know what that looks like. You know, so we spent mm-hmm. well over a year not re- not really producing any analytics, just looking at priorities, creating a roadmap, creating the information governance structure, the data governance structure, developing the right skill sets in-house to do the analytics, identifying the right partners for the analytics we didn't have the skill sets to do. So we had a and almost a full 18 months in planning uh, before we did our first analysis of anything. Okay. So that, that was an interesting spot to be in. You're almost in uncharted territory. Is that something that, that you were comfortable with, or uh, like how, did, how did you approach that? Uh, I, I was comfortable with it. I mean, it's really been something that I was trained for. I did a combined internal medicine and clinical informatics fellowship, uh, okay. So I trained for five years to, to kind of sit in that spot and lead those teams. Uh, it was a very exciting place to be in to cobble together best practices from um, other organizations into a, a unified strategy. Yeah. Uh, and I had a really good support team and great you know, senior executive support for what we were doing uh, to put that together. And then, uh, as you had said, taking that, that amount of time to, to, to lay things out, uh, after that point, did you kind of feel like, okay, I'm ready to hit the ground running with things? It, we did, and, and we hit the ground on, on, a, on a sprint. We're using Click to do our data visualizations. We have a, a four-person team that's working on Click. Uh, they produced 20 applications in the first year. The reporting side of things, when we restructured how they were doing reports, we did over 1,100 reports uh, with a six-person team. Uh, so... They were averaging almost a report a day uh, each. We established a very uh, efficient system that focused on the institution priorities and aligned with the institution strategy Mm -hmm. Uh, and have really been running that for a year now. I think actually this week makes a year. And it's been a very effective structure. It's been very efficient. It's taken two and a half years to begin to see the dividends, but we're definitely seeing the dividends now. Yeah. I would imagine that all of this is exciting to be a part of, but then also this role of chief health information officer is really something that that's, I mean, I'm sure I don't have to tell you there's not exactly thousands of you, so <laughs> I would think that it, it, it's an interesting, uh, fascinating spot to be in. Yeah, no, so, somebody told me the other day that we're up to 11. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. And I, I, don't, I don't know if that's true, but I was at a conference <laughs> and someone said, you're one of 11. I said, okay. <laughs> be a small conference, I guess. <laughs> okay. It, it seems like with the training you had, though, that this is really kind of the ideal role, you know, combining the informatics with, with the clinical. Yes. It was the vision of the, the CIO that I was working for after medical school to really combine these two. I wanted to go down the informatics route, uh, and I worked with him to develop the five-year program and made sure I hit all of his requirements to... <laughs> to have him be the mentor for the program. Uh, and it's worked out very well. So I got, a, I got a master's in information systems while I was doing my residency and fellowship. Got, uh, I'm board certified in internal medicine and clinical informatics. You had that while you were doing your, your residency? Yes. Okay. So, uh, so the, with the, the combination of my residency and fellowship, yeah. um, I was able to jockey my heavy clinical months to, to not be when I was taking classes. Okay. 
Uh, so, so it was a five-year program to get my internal medicine piece done, which is normally three. Okay. I was curious as to how that would actually happen, doing all that at once, if you just <laughs> did for, foregoed sleep or what? Yes. I, I, I did not have five children at that time is, is how uh, that happened. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Okay. So, so obviously a lot of cool stuff going on and um, a lot of really great stuff in the works with, with going down the, the population health route. Now, um, aside from that, talking about uh, the Propel Health IT effort, is that something that is um, outside of the organization, or how does that work? Yeah, so that, that's outside of UMMC, and that was started with my partner, uh, Lee Williams, who is now the Senior Business Administrator for the Information Systems Department at UVA. So she's over all of um, Lawson, Kronos, revenue cycle stuff up at UVA okay. uh, on the technical side. And what we earned, what we learned early on in our partnership, and she was part of the team that was implementing Epic at UMMC, uh, was that there was a whole lot of knowledge that we had received in our training that was not really getting disseminated, was not really part of the standard graduate curriculums. Um, so even people coming out with master's degrees weren't getting insights into the differences in psychology between different groups of clinicians and administrators in healthcare, the information around um, diffusion of innovation and some process improvement pieces. So we put together uh, an educational curriculum and had some seminars to really get feedback and hone, hone the education and messaging. Uh, and we're in the process now of putting together online education um, in order to get this information out there and get people much more effective at adopting technology and managing change management around technology. Right. So that was that was something that that you guys started on their own on your own and um are just kind of starting to see that grow out at this point. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I would think from from doing the the kind of big bang implementation that you were part of, I bet there's a lot of lessons learned. Yes, there were. <laughs> and and I know you don't want to uh give too much away, but um I would ask if you have any kind of um, best practices for for CIOs when it comes to working with physician leaders and um, when you're doing like a project of that that scale. Just any kind of tips on how to really get that communication going? Sure, and I think I think the first best practice is you know you can't you can't treat them all the same. You can't treat the nurses the same. You treat the docs the same. You treat the administrators. You need to to tailor your message to really how they process it and mm -hmm. structure your meetings and your adoption around how the different groups function. Uh, if you just try to aim for the middle, you're going to miss everybody. Mm. Uh, and physicians really require a much more hands-on approach, getting things much closer to what they do on a daily basis. Uh, nurses do much better learning and adopting in groups. Um, executives you know, do much better with, here's some information, go and think about it. And, you know, even when you're doing these really big products, projects, you still need to address your stakeholders and your communities individually. Hmm. Uh, and then the second thing I'd say about that is, you know, it really needs to be an organized and intention approach. Uh, we had written out communication plans for 18 months into the future. On this date, we're going to send this messaging. On this date, we're going to send that messaging. On this date, this email has to be drafted so that it can be reviewed by this person before it goes to that group. Uh, and we had full communication plans laid out for 18 months in advance. Oh, wow. 
Um, and, and, and everyone got tailored communication. Okay. And, and I would imagine there has to be a, a little bit of uh, room for uh, agility if things change, but the important thing is to really have that, that uh, groundwork in place for communication. Oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure we actually ever hit a single date in that <laughs> communication plan on the date we right. were supposed to have it, but it, it, it very clearly drew out that the nurses were going to get the same information but in a different way than the physicians and in a different way than the executives, if, if that makes sense. Right, okay. Okay. All right. That's really what I wanted to ask. Looks like um, from everything you've said that you guys are doing some really interesting work, and it'll uh, it'll be fascinating to see where where predictive analytics goes, um, especially with with the work you guys are doing down there. Uh, I'm really excited about it. I I think I think in five to ten years, predictive analytics is just going to be a part of how we do medicine. Yeah. Yeah, as a, as a patient, <laughs> I like to hear that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, John. It was nice to talk to you. Hey, thanks, Kate. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.